All right. Did are we? Uh, do we think? Do we think the slideshow is going to be able to work? It's it's not super time sensitive. If it's not working, that's fine. I just had some maps and stuff. We can work without it. No big deal. So, like I said earlier, welcome back to uh, week nine. We're going to be doing Joshua this week, and uh, I'm going to start by reading part of the first chapter of Joshua, just to kind of open us here, kind of set the stage, remind us where we are, because I know it's been um, it's been two weeks, but uh, if we remember how we how we ended the last uh, ended the last section, this is a good place to pick up. So Joshua one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness... And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their, fa- that I swore to their fathers to give them. So this, so this is it. We've been working toward this for a long time. We're finally getting ready to, uh, Israel is getting ready to enter the promised land. Um, this is where the majority of the rest of our story of Old Testament Israel will take place. This is the place where Christ will walk on earth. We're finally here. We, we start here, we've come, come back a long way to get here. Um, but, the, but this moment that, is, um, that has taken so long, it was forestalled by the sin and reluctance of the people the first time they came near the land and sent spies in. Now, after wandering in the wilderness, this is, this is time. So Joshua gets his instructions from God to cross over the Jordan and enter with all, enter the promised land. And we also see now that Moses has passed. We see God beginning to lift up Joshua, okay? Um, he says, Joshua, I will be with you. Um, <clears throat> he tells him to be strong and courageous. But there's a specific instruction that Joshua is given before we move on. And that is found in Joshua chapter 1. Only be strong, this is uh, verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my service, servant, commanded you. Do not, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be certain to do according to all that is written in it. So we, we have this moment if, if you were suddenly elevated to the leader of this great host of people and you were having communication with God and you knew that you were getting ready to enter this land and receive this long-awaited promise and you know that there are people in the land who don't want you there, you've already fought battles along the way, um, you know, what, what, what might you do to prepare yourself? Would you, you know, bone up on military tactics? Would you, you know... 
would you um, speak to the leaders of the people? I mean, what's the first thing you would do? And it's very interesting because God gives Joshua instruction. He's commanded to meditate on God's law. Do not let it depart from your mouth. So we see from here, um, from God's perspective, if you're going to lead my people, you know, what's the first thing he has to do? He has to meditate on God's laws. And I think that that's an important important point to make because it is not, as, as with the rest of this holy journey, it is not by Joshua's skill or cunning or by perfect planning or you know the execution of you know the perfect you know moving of the people that success is is ultimately going to come it's going to come from God and from God's blessing but um, as we've seen in the past God removes his blessing at times from the people when they are not obedient to him so he's just saying it it just shows the priority and I think that's important the most important thing if you want to lead my people you have to be steeped in my law day and night. A commandment that's later going to be passed down to the kings of Israel, though it will be imperfectly fulfilled. Um, But anyway, Joshua, you're the guy now. I'm going to lift you up. Um, Your name will be great, but you must be in my law. So Joshua commands Israel to get ready. Um, They're going to leave within three days. Um, They they make provisions. The men who can are to arm themselves, and Joshua um, dispatches spies into the land. Now, really quickly, and thank you, by the way, for getting this up. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll show you where we are here. Can you go? Oh, bless your heart. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Adam. Lovely. Awesome. All right. So just, just so we kind of remember where we are, where we are in the world, Okay. We're here, and if you blow that up, we have Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, okay? This is modern-day state of Israel and Palestine. It would be right here. So hopefully that helps uh, orient you a little bit. And we've come up through here. Remember the Edomites, the Moabites, had trouble along the way, and we have camped. Remember Moses got to look from a mountain. He got to see the Promised Land. He did not get to cross this Jordan River. So Moses dies here. We're right here. And we're getting ready to cross the Jordan River and enter the land. And um, if you zoom in just a tiny bit more, I'm gonna, we're going to zoom in on this area right here. So we're camped by the river. Right across the river is the city of Jericho. Yes, all right. Um, so again, here we are. This is the Dead Sea. And we're going to see this is where Israel's uh, conquest of Canaan is going to begin. And um, places that we're going to talk about today include Jericho, Ai, and Gibeon, okay, sites of three major battles. We'll also talk about how Israel goes through kind of a central campaign of conquest, and then there's a northern and a southern campaign of conquest, but they are, as they are conquering the land, um, but primarily we'll talk about here's where we start. So we sent, what? Oh. oh, I'm sorry, good. Oh, thank you. Sorry, guys. Um, did everyone get to see the first one? I don't want to go too fast. Did You know, where in the world we are, right? I'm just trying to, like, um, help us stay oriented. So um, Joshua sends spies into the land. The spies cross here, 
from where they're camped. They go over, they take a look at the land. <clears throat> so that's the preparation Joshua has made. Now, Joshua does speak to the people, as he assumes command. Um, and Joshua kind of reminds the people of Moses' word. This is still in Joshua 1. He talks about how um, the, God's going to give them the land, the people are to possess the land. The people of Israel pledge to do all that Joshua has commanded them. So it seems for the moment that we are all on board. The people understand what's going to happen. The people want, you know, the people want this. They're, yes, Joshua, we're with you. And then the people promised to obey him, Joshua, in all things, just as they did Moses. Now, Holy Scripture doesn't, exact, doesn't record the look on Joshua's face at this point in time. However, as a firsthand witness to many of the things that have transpired previously, we might assume that he probably had a moment of pause here and thought, just like you did Moses? <laughs> Not, that's, but, you know, maybe that's the best we can hope for. But anyway... Um, and they even go a step further. They say, whoever disobeys Joshua's word shall be put to death. So for the moment, Israel seems to be all on the same page. Because remember, the last time they didn't enter the land the way they were supposed to, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And most of them died. So that being said, um, the people are more ready. So this time it's only two spies. They go into the land. They look at it, especially the city of Jericho, which we'll talk about. Um, however, as they are in the city of Jericho, they're discovered, these two Israelite spies. Um, they lodge in the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Um, she hides them. And when the king of Jericho demands that they be brought out, she says, well, they've already left. You know, they're gone. They, they took off. Go chase them. So they do. She's apparently a convincing liar and does a good job with their deception. She hides the men under um, <clears throat> stalks of flax on the roof. And um, Rahab speaks with the spies. And this is very interesting because, remember, as Israel has marched up toward the promised land, they've come in contact with many other peoples. They've come in contact with people that have attacked them, um, the kings who tried to have Balaam lay a curse on them. And by God's power, Israel has ultimately prevailed over all these people. So the word is getting out that Israel... Is, is a, and remember, they're very numerous. This is a big deal for the local people. Um, and, the, and there's some fear building. And Rahab basically throws in her lot with these men. She says um, that she knows the Lord has given Israel this land. She says the people in Jericho are, are afraid. Um, she says she will help them, but in return for her help, ask that they spare her and her family when the city falls. She asks for an oath, and that the spies make this oath. And apparently her house was built into the city wall of Jericho um, because she lets them down out of a window. Remember, this is after misdirecting the pursuers and saying they've gone this way. She secretly lets them out. Um, and as a sign, because remember, an oath was made to spare her because of her help in saving these spies. As a sign, she's given a scarlet thread she's to hang in her window. So it's like, we're, we will come back, but you and the people you gather into your house, where this scarlet cord is in the window, we will spare you and they, with an oath. Um, so 
Rahab's faith, this is, my, is a question that kind of came to me. Rahab's faithfulness to God's people will, as we see, ultimately save her and her family. In addition, she is brought into the covenant family. How does this occur? What other than just a simple sparing of her life does Rahab get for her faithfulness to Israel? Yes. Done for Scott. She ends up being in the lineage of Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So that's, that's exactly correct. She actually gets to become part of the lineage, the recorded bloodline of our Savior Jesus. And it's interesting that a woman, you know, of, you know, of, the, of this situation, of this state, um, would say something, you know, that she, she would say something like, I know God has given this land into your hands. It's an interesting thing to say, but again, she acts in submission and faithfulness, and ultimately, not only is her life spared, but she gets to become part of the, you know, the lineage of Christ, which is really something, considering you know, she wasn't born an Israelite, and she didn't, not of noble birth or noble profession, but um, yeah, Rahab the prostitute, saving the, saving the spies, and um, the spies return and make their, <clears throat> make their report to Joshua. Um, so we now come to crossing this Jordan River right here from the Dead Sea here north of the Sea of Galilee. Um, now this is um, the Jordan River. I looked up picture, pictures of it. It's different, different sizes, different times of the year. And um, it appears that this was um, in the springtime at the time of the barley harvest well, that's significant because basically this is probably the worst time of year to try and cross this thing, okay? We have the, remember the, uh, the river um, originates in the north, in the mountains, and flows down. It's swollen at this time of year, again, the time of the harvest, the spring barley harvest. And so this is a bad time to try and cross it. Well, they might have contrived all sorts of different ways to um, cross this river, but God has a specific plan. Joshua instructs the people to follow the Ark of the Covenant. So, we've, we've made our preparations, remember, as Joshua asked them to. We pick up everything, and then the Ark of the Covenant goes first, and all the people go after it. Nobody would plan a military invasion this way, right? You'd have, you know, advanced guards. You'd have, you know, your army would lead. And, you know, it, nobody would do it this way. But it just shows that this is a special plan. It's God's plan. And God's plan is that they will follow the Ark. As a matter of fact... They follow behind the ark so that they cannot see where they're going. So we're going in, but we're going in kind of blind, and the priests are carrying the ark, and it's an interesting picture that, again, you know, human wisdom would not plan an invasion this way. And when the priests carrying the ark touch the water of the Jordan with their feet, the water flow is cut off. That's right. Second time, we have a miraculous crossing of a body of water of the Israelites, and it says the waters stood up in a heap far off. So think of them being like the waters being, you know, occluded or blocked in the distance. And the waters are like building up up there, but they're not flowing down. And they stand there with the ark. And um, Israel passes by on dry ground. So they weren't allowed to see where they were going. But once the ark touched the waters, the water stopped. And Israel crosses over. Um, 
They collect, one man from each tribe collects stones from the riverbed, which they use to make a, they're going to use as a memorial of the occasion. It says that Israel crosses quickly. So there may have been some nervousness there. There may have been some apprehension, you know. Well, again, we know there are unfriendly people about, people that don't want them here. But they move on quickly. They get through. And at Joshua's command, the priests then carry the ark up basically out of the riverbed, and the waters resume their normal flow. So a... a Another significant miracle just showing that God has allowed this to happen. God is giving this over to them. They didn't build a bridge. They didn't float across in boats. They walked off on dry ground into the promised land. At this time, we're now in Joshua 5, a sign of the covenant of God must be um, taken care of here because it turns out the circumcision had not been kept up with. When they left the land, um, all the people that went out of Egypt, the men were circumcised as had been commanded. Remember, it's a sign of the, God's covenant with Abraham. But the, the, um, the men that had been born and boys that had been born in the wilderness as they're journeying, this had not been taken care of. So at this time, God commands Joshua, we're going to stop and take care of this. He tells him to make flint knives and go out and basically take care of all the circumcisions that haven't been done in the meantime. And again, this is not how you or I would plan an invasion, but that's what's happening. This is a sign of the covenant. We know that God takes his covenant seriously. The Israelites haven't been keeping up with it. They stop. They take care of all the um, circumcision that should be done. And then it says that they have to stay in place there. They have to stay there until everyone, you know, heals. So now you're across, you're across the Jordan River now. So we are, you know, Israel is now officially in enemy territory. And the very lar- large, powerful city of Jericho is near at hand. But at God's command, they stop here. They do what God tells them to do. They don't question it. They have to wait there until everyone heals and is feeling like moving again. But God will reward this obedience. Also, important point, right here is where the manna stops. Remember the manna? The the people, God has been feeding the people all this time, all through the wilderness, through many complaints, you know, um, but God has been feeding them. Now the manna ceases. So we're in the promised land, and God's like, from now on, you will eat um, from the food you gather. And Israel celebrates their first Passover in the promised land. So a question I had is, consider how Israel has just performed the rites of both the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenant. Why is this significant at this time and place in the history of God's people? They circumcision, Abrahamic covenant, Passover. Why here? Why now? It's a good question, right? Nobody's attacked anybody yet. Nobody's died yet. We just crossed the Jordan. We crossed it on dry ground. Israel did. How did they get... Why, why is that significant? This time and this place in the history of Israel that they would have their first Passover and circumcise all the uncircumcised men. 
Thoughts on that? Sorry, Lee, you're next. Well, I, uh, I guess I just surmise that uh, they're reestablishing the covenant with God. If they're going to be successful invading this land, it's God that's going to really bring them victory. And so they're, um, and God has promised that with His covenant people, He will t- He will protect them. So they're reestablishing the covenant to make sure that God will deliver his, on His promise. Agreed. Agreed. Lee. Oh, okay. <laughs> Lee abstains. Sorry, down here. Simeon. Thanks, Scott. Back to your uh, tactical point again. Mm-hmm. Getting circumcised after you cross the water defense that you could have left in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's kind of not smart because it takes a couple days to heal up. I agree. I mean, I'm not a military tactician, but basically, normally speaking, you would not enter enemy territory, then purposely you know, injure yourself or, or cause yourself great pain that's going to take days to recover from, essentially immobilizing you to some extent. You know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a tactician, but I agree with you. That's, you could have stayed back and left the river as a natural defense in a more safe position, but that wasn't, you know, that wasn't God's plan. All right, Genesis 39 definitely... Yes, yeah. and, and yes, and the story in Genesis as well about people who have taken advantage of men in just such a state. So, um, and back to what I completely agree, um, it just shows that they, but again, they're following God's commandments now, and as weird as it sounds, they're going to be rewarded for that. Back to your point, Greg, I, I, I just think it's sort of like with Joshua, before you become the leader and assume this role, and before we take off, what's the first thing you're going to do? You are going to absolutely meditate on my word. The people, before I give this land into your hands, what are we going to do? You know, perform those signs of the covenant. Have, you know, affirm that we are in relationship with God and it's him that he was doing this for us. Um, it's just a interesting timing, but we see God's hand everywhere. So near Jericho, a man appears before Joshua, sword in hand. He identifies himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. So Joshua falls on his face. Again, a normal response we see when um, angelic beings reveal themselves. And this is kind of a cool... uh, He commands Joshua to remove his sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Very interesting because... Joshua has just picked up the mantle from Moses, so to speak, right? And what did Moses hear? He saw the burning bush. You're standing on holy ground, take your shoes off. So a very cool connection to be made as, um, first of all, we see a commander of the army of the Lord. The army of the Lord is going to fight for Israel. And also that Joshua, just like Moses, falls on his face and removes his sandals. Um, So that brings us to uh, a long last here to Jericho. I won't go into the story of Jericho in excruciating detail just because it's been so often said. I'm guessing you guys are pretty familiar with the narrative of of Jericho. But Jericho is a tough nut to crack, um, so to speak. It is heavily defended, large walls. Um, Archaeologists think we have the location of uh, Jericho today. And um, maybe... Yeah, here's an artistic rendering based upon some of the <clears throat> archaeological findings we've had. 
They believe it was encircled by a large double wall, something like this, um, late Bronze Age, um, based on the excavation. Um, and we know a couple things about it. Um, apparently, according to two or three sources I looked at, there's a pretty good spring that feeds the city. So if it comes to siege, you're not going to be able to uh, easily starve them out. Also, springtime, right after the barley harvest, so probably the city's full of food. So, and this is one of the oldest cities in the regions, definitely one of the best fortified cities from this era, um, with, it, with a good supply of water, um, and, and likely well supplied with food, although you know, that is not known in certain. But what we do know is that it was a tough city, it was a city that was going to be hard to take over, um, but God gives specific instructions, and like the instructions about entering the land and crossing the Jordan, it might not be the way that um, a general would plan it, but it's the way God wants it done. We're marching around the city, you guys all know the story. And on the uh, seventh day, the city walls fall. And it says that they go up into the city. That actually makes sense because the site where they think they've found Jericho is on a big mound and also with the walls, you would have to go up to get into the city. Um, the, let's see, I went too far here. Perfect. All right. They believe that the walls may have looked something like this. I won't be dogmatic about this nor spend a lot of time on it. But basically, you have like a base to the wall and then a mud brick structure on top. Very large, very tall. Um, and two different expeditions to the area, one in 1905, 1906, somewhere in there, and one later one found what they believe was evidence of fallen bricks, crumbled bricks. It's just interesting to see that God brought them into this city by knocking the walls down. Um, one book that I looked into said it's interesting. If you took the mud bricks and knocked them over, it would form a ramp so that you could walk right up over the, the whole thing. If the mud bricks were to fall off the base of the wall and land down here, it'd be like a big ramp and you could walk right up into the city. Again, just that is just, for what it's worth, um, that's not Biblical, that's just what I was able to find digging through some stuff. And here's a picture of part of the wall, the walls, the interior of Jericho, so that they have excavated, again, very large. Again, all that is less important. What is important is that God gave Jericho over into the hands of the Israelites. He did it by his power, not theirs. Um, all the living inhabitants except Rahab and those in her, in her household are devoted to destruction. That means they're killed. The Israelites are commanded not to plunder the city except for some precious metals which are to be kept for the treasury of the Lord. And then Jericho is burned. Also, a couple places I read said that they'd found ash that they believed to be evidence of burning. But again, that's all extra biblical, if somewhat interesting. And it says, um, the, um, the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. So, we just, so Joshua has just led this people into the land. They've taken on the biggest, toughest city in the area. And God has knocked the walls down. The people entered. They've burned everything. They've killed everyone. Um, again, except for Rahab and her household. So Israel, I mean, if Israel's name was already kind of scary and on the horizon, they're here now. Now everybody knows about them. Um, and it says uh, Joshua's fame was in all the land, Joshua 6.27. But there's a problem. A man named Achan, an Israelite from the tribe of Judah, coveted some gold and silver and a beautiful cloak, 
as they were going through the spoils of Jericho, he collects these items and conceals them under his tent. Well, that's a pretty bad idea. Um, so Israel, uh, no one else apparently is aware of this at the time. So Joshua, moving on here, we go from Jericho, which is here. We go further in, we come to the city of Ai. So we go from here as, again, we cross the Jordan. Jericho has fallen. We're continuing to move. This is part of this central <clears throat> campaign of conquest. We get to the city of Ai. And Jericho uh, <clears throat> is fallen. Ai is next. Joshua sends a, a, a force to attack Ai. But God is not with the Israelites. And although they face a fairly small force, they're defeated soundly and routed. And Joshua, knowing something is wrong, he mourns and he cries out to God. And he's, you know, what, is, what has happened? And God tells him. God says, you've disobeyed my commandment. And I'm not going to be with you until this transgression is dealt with. Um, so Israel's right off this huge victory over this massive city. A, can't defeat a, a comparatively small force at AI, and it's because of the sin of one man. Now I have a question. This, came, this was something that was just sort of on my mind as I was reading this. Clearly the New Testament church is not Israel. That being said, can we suffer or fail to succeed when our brothers and sisters in Christ break God's commandment? Why or why not? Does it matter to us? Should we, should we be concerned? I think there's an application here, but pause on for a second. Carrie. Well, I think it's 1 Corinthians talks about how we're all the body of Christ, and so we're all members of one body, and so if one member suffers, we all suffer. If one mm -hmm. rejoices, we all rejoice. And so I think in that way, um, we are accountable for our own, like, working out our salvation, but it still impacts because we're all one body, everybody else around yeah. us. And certainly we're punished, I agree, certainly you know, punished for our own sins, but it just as I'm reading through this, I was thinking about like ministries I've read about that fell apart because of uh, the, the bad conduct or unfaithfulness of one of, one of them, you know, or, or, like a, or like a business venture that went bad because somebody was embezzling money or you know, acting in a sinful way. And I remember thinking, gosh. And again, these things are written for our instruction, so I'll, although it's not exactly the same, it's just very interesting that the sin of one man derailed this whole conquest because the people have been acting in a pretty, as, as much as we can tell, they have been following God's instruction. You know, you want us to do this, we'll do this. We'll do this, we'll cross the river. You want us to march around the city of Jericho, we'll march around the city of Jericho and, and, and following the letter of the law. And then one man, Achan, breaks this law um, and again, causes, causes God to withhold victory from them. And the next morning, all the tribes were brought before Joshua by lot, God reveals first the tribe, then the clan, and finally the household of the guilty. So this is interesting, right? All of Israel has to pass by, and by lot they select this tribe. And, all the tri and then all the clans have to pass by, that clan of this tribe. And then all of that clan and this household. And finally, by lot, you might think almost like rolling the dice, but not exactly. Something along those lines. Um, Achan is revealed. He confesses his sin. He and his household are stoned and then burned, and God's anger is turned away. At God's command, Joshua now leads a second force against 
AI. Um, and this, and here's where we get into um, this is a little bit more of a, like military tactics in a way. Um, Joshua approaches the city again, and um, with a with a relatively small force, he approaches the city and then feigns retreat. The men of AI are drawn out by this. They see, oh, the Israelites are here. We've driven them away once. We'll drive them away again. So they leave the city to pursue them, to try and destroy them. And that's when the main force of the Israelites ambush the city from behind. So, so this is, um, and this time God is with them, and the Israelites take the city. And everyone is killed, including the king who's actually hanged on a tree. So now the Israelites have conquered Jericho, they've conquered Ai, and they're moving further into the land. So this brings us to the story of the Gibeonites. Very interesting story. The Gibeonites, they have kind of a different, because we, we see that um, some of the people in the land in response to this conquest begin to come together to congregate into sort of a coalition. They're sort of like, well, whatever our differences are, we can certainly come together to try and stop these Israelites. They're killing everyone. They're taking the land. There's these crazy, there are these miracles happening, miraculous crossings of the river and the walls of cities falling down. We're going to come together and try and defeat them. Not the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites basically come to the conclusion it's better to survive, however we have to do that. And they don't think they can defeat Israel, but they think they might be able to deceive them. The Gibeonites um, approach, and Gibeon's over here, they go to the Israelites, they disguise themselves as poor sojourners from a distant land, and they go to Joshua and they ask for a covenant. And they basically say, you know, Will you treat us peacefully if we are, act as your servants? And it says in Joshua 9, the men of Israel failed to ask counsel from the Lord, oops, and made a covenant with them. And then they find out, well, you're not sojourners. You live over here in this city, and you're not as poor as you look. Well, this is a problem. And, you know, Joshua calls them out on it, but they've already, you know, made a covenant. They've made oaths on it, and, and the Israelites are not free to simply break their oath they've made before God. So the Gibeonites, unlike many of the people that we're reading about that are being conquered, do survive. They remain as cupbearers and woodcutters for Israel. And this agreement is in effect so long that it even becomes an issue for King David when Saul kills a bunch of the Gibeonites. So the Gibeonites, again, a unique strategy, they figure out a way to survive. They're basically like, it's, we can't defeat Israel. We might as well try and be their servants, and at least we can remain. And they do, they do. And they get Joshua and the Israelites to enter into a binding covenant, and, and they stay. Um, now, I mentioned that not everyone had taken the same approach. We have a coalition of five Amorite kings. We're in Joshua 5 now. Um, <clears throat> they join forces against who? Gibeon. Five Amorite kings, and they're going to come attack Gibeon. Well, this would be a problem for Gibeon, except they have just placed themselves under the commandment of Israel. You place yourself under someone else's commandment, and then someone attacks you. The Gibeonites go to Joshua. 
And they ask him for help. They're just like, now, and now Israel has to lead an army out to defend the Gibeonites, who they've just made this covenant with. Um, Joshua leads out the army, and God defeats this coalition. God is who wins this battle for Israel. He rains down stones on the Amorites, gives them into Joshua's hand, and, special miracle, God actually forestalls darkness for about a day. God makes the day longer so that the victory can be more complete. That's new. That's very interesting. I mean, we remember, we remember the time Moses had his arms held up, and as long as he had his arms raised, you know, the Israelites were winning. Um, but in this one, God actually gives more time in the day so that these Amorites can be completely wiped out. And again, it's just one of many miracles we see God performing as he's allowing Israel to enter into the land. But you can only imagine how terrifying that would have been for the enemies of Israel who are being routed on the field. There's stones raining down from heaven and killing people. And oh my goodness, at least at some point this battle will you know, end because darkness will come and we can run away except darkness doesn't come. And you think like, you know, the routed soldier just wants darkness and a place to hide, and God holds the darkness away, um, just showing his sovereign power. So from here, we've now, Israel has now conquered Jericho, Bethel, defended the Gibeonites, and we're going to speed up just a little bit, but sufficient to say <clears throat> the rest of the conquest, there's a, a northern and southern campaign that eventually brings the land under the control of, of the Israelites. And anyway, they, what's that? Yep, we'll stop there, that's fine. So, but basically the Israelites do conquer the north and south portions of the land. Importantly, um, God has given the whole of, uh, whole of this land into their hands by this time, by the time they've finished the conquest north and south. However, there are pockets, there are areas that remain unconquered, and Joshua is now approaching the end of his life. And this is very interesting because we're going to see interplay between some of these peoples that are still in areas of, the, of, of, of Israel's new promised land and the Israelites. But God commands these areas are to be allotted for inheritance along with the rest of the land. This is in Joshua 13, and there's a list of, of the places that need still to be conquered. And I'm going to read to you a quick section out of Joshua 13. And this is in verse 6. I myself, this is God speaking, will drive them out from the people, from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. Now, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. So, we have the central conquest, the central campaign, we have the northern and southern campaign. There are areas of people that are not Israelites that still remain, but God says, go ahead, divide up the land, and I will give them over into your hand. So now we begin dividing the land. And this 
part is, is a large part, a large portion of the book of the Joshua is dividing up the land. Most of your Bibles might have something like this in here. I just threw it up so you could kind of get a rough idea of how this ends up being broken down. Um, important points to remember that God miraculously gave this hand into their hands, that he worked miracles on the battlefield to make it possible that they crossed over the Jordan and then the land is divided. And again, this is uh, near the end of Joshua's life, the land's partitioned. Also, cities of refuge are established. Cities of refuge, um, if, if you kill someone in a premeditated way, we call it first-degree murder. There, there are portions in the law that allow for punishment of that. It's a capital offense. If you killed someone accidentally, something we might refer to more like manslaughter, okay? There are places, there are cities that are set up where people are allowed to flee to. It's almost like a form of banishment. Um, so we see some of these being set up. Also places for the, the priests to live because remember the Levites don't get a portion of the land. They're the priestly class. So again, all this is being set up now and, and we're, we're, I'm fast forwarding a little bit here for you, but we're in the land. The land is being sectioned up and Joshua at the end of his life his charge to the leaders of Israel is to keep the commandments written in the book of Moses. Um, and he reminds them what God has done for him. Sort of how Moses reminded the people of Israel about how God brought them out of Egypt. Joshua reminds the people, it's God who gave you all this. God brought you here. God gave it to you just as he promised he would. And Joshua also warns of future serious consequences if they disobey. And I, I could read that to you, but we're here, here. I was going to, but we're a little short on time. But basically, Joshua dies. He's buried in the land. He's 110 years old when he dies. Um, and again, very important. He's like, remember what God has done for you. When you acted in obedience, God gave this land to you. And he promises the last little bits of it, you know, the last of those other people that remain to finish driving them out, only if you're obedient to him. And interestingly, here's a little fun point. Um, the bones of Joseph, remember that? Remember how they carried Joseph with him? Joseph finally gets to come home and is buried. Because remember, here's where Joseph started. And then all the way to Egypt. And they've been carrying around his bones ever since. They finally come back and uh, Joseph gets to be buried here as he requested. And... Um, and again, I fast-forwarded through um, a lot of the parts about the division of the land. It's very interesting if you want to read it. So some of it was done by lots, some, like casting lots. Some of it was done by requests. Um, but this is, this is where we end up, and here is where we are at this point. Israel does not have a king. Joshua is di has died. The land has been carved up, but not completely conquered in the sense that there are still some areas where you know, the, the native inhabitants need to be driven out. Um, so thoughts. Again, this gets us to the end of Joshua. Here's where we pause. Next week is the judges, a whole new section, a whole new list of very interesting characters. But we are in the land where most of the rest of our story will take place, where one day Christ will come. Um, questions, thoughts about Joshua, about the conquest of the land, about the signs of the covenant. Questions? Anyone? Yes, Greg. 
I found it <clears throat> I found it interesting that when they were getting ready to go into the land, they had forty thousand armored armor bear or armored people, mm-hmm. and uh, from a group of two million, that's about two percent. That'd be like us sending uh, Simeon, Julia, you, and Callie to defend the, our church, mm-hmm. and I, I just. If God had instructed that, I could see why he would have done that, mm-hmm. so that they would have realized that we didn't do this, God did this. Yes. But for the people to just send 40,000 people, that just struck me as really odd, mm-hmm. uh, given how many of them there should have been. Seems like a small number. A very small number, 2%. Right. Yeah, um, I, I agree. It, it seems a small, um, a small number. Um, they have been through some other conflicts. Um, they have been wandering in the desert. Maybe their ability to mobilize men was hindered. Or, as you said, it is a proportionally small force. Maybe it's just a, a chance for God to show his glory because God, you know, God is giving, giving them these victories. Because, again, you, you bring all these men together... They don't assault the city or lay siege to the city. They march around the city. You know, I'm sure that's not what they had in mind. But again, it's just a visible display that this is God's work. Um, when you see something like that and then the walls just fall down, there can be no doubt to anyone who witnessed it. Well, we didn't knock those walls down. God did. Um, and how much more terrifying for you know, the, the inhabitants of the city to see their own walls fall down before the Israelites had ever touched them. And you're just like, well... It's like Rahab said that you know the fear of Israel was in the people was in the was upon the inhabitants of the city, so they were certainly afraid and with with good reason. Any other questions, points? Al. Yeah, just in regards to that, uh, I was gonna say typical um, of a lot of these Old Testament conquests, uh, you know, the, the people generally weren't told to do nothing. Um, there was a force or there was somebody that was sent out to do certain things, but at the same time, God would fight for them. And, and just, I don't remember which chapter, if it was 11 or 12, um, but, you know, the the word states there that the hailstones actually killed more in that battle than, than they killed with the sword. Yep. And so it's a, it's a combination all the time of, hey, you guys go out, I'll take care of it. Yes, God didn't tell them to just stay at home and sit on the couch. They did have to go up for battle. And after, and after you know, the walls are knocked down, God, you know, go up into the city. So it wasn't that they just, they were just passive spectators. But um, certainly, and it's interesting that they do record that, that the stones from heaven killed more people than the Israelites killed with a sword, just so, we're, just, just so there's no confusion about the, the, the outcome of the battle, that it was God who, who provided this outcome. But as you said, they were there and they did fight. Um, with the force that they had. Yes? Well, I imagine it's one of the custom things that I don't understand, but what's the business that we read about the lots, casting lots for all this stuff? Is that kind of like concubines? You know, gambling's bad and God looks the other way because that was the custom, or is... Is something else meant by that than what we think of in in America? Right, and I think just the casting of lots, and I and I said something like rolling the dice. I didn't mean to be flippant with that illustration. Um, it's just that this ultimately it, it God identifies Aachen, right? And this is the way it happens. First, who, which of the tribes, then which of the clans, 
than which of the families in that clan. So, um, and, and again, we also, that, that some of the land, you know, is the lots are involved in that. Um, I think, I think we just have to see that this was God's method of, of, of showing Joshua who this was. I don't, you know, it, it doesn't say exactly how the lots were cast um, that I'm aware of, um, but we have to see God's hand, you know, the God that can stop a river, you know, can, can cause lots to fall in such a way that Joshua had confidence, you know, well, if God, you know, if, 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 if we all drew straws and you had the short straw and God is, God is the one who told me that one of us sinned, you know, there, there is you. And then, of course, Aachen does actually confess as well. So uh, I don't know if it was just the, the, the time and the place and this was God, how God chose to reveal the man. I don't know. Um, because, again, yeah, the, all of Israel kind of had to be subjected to this uh, process of, like, who was it? Who's out there? Who's undermining all this? Because we just had this great victory, and now we've had this terrible defeat. What's going on? So I, God's method of choosing here, I, it's not random chance in God's hands. I put it that way. You know what I mean? God knows the roll of the dice. So that's my best answer for you. Anything else, guys? Mom. I just thought it was interesting when Joshua was commanded to meditate on God's law. Mm-hmm. And he was to do it both day and night. And then the last part of that, not letting the law depart from his mouth. Right. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, it was something he was consumed with and doing all the time, but he was supposed to be quiet about it. Well, just sort of a primary consideration, what's the most important thing for a leader of my people to be? I mean, and, and yes, we see, him, we, we, we see him dividing up the land. We see him using some military tactics later. We, but all that comes later. The first thing, the primary qualification, are you in my word? And are you meditating on my word? If you're going to lead my people, you have to do so according to my word. And I just think that's a... Um, I agree. I think that, that the fact that that's what God made him do first um, shows how much God values our obedience to his word. Did I see a hand over here? Nope. Anything else, guys? We're a couple minutes over, so I'll let you go if we're done. But yeah, thank you. We got all the way through uh, Joshua today. We're going to take on Judges next week. And um, believe it or not, after Judges, we're to the Kings. So thank you so much. Have a great day.